You're listening to Fueling the Future of Transport, hosted by Tammy Klein, the founder and CEO of Transport Energy Strategies. We'll talk all about the fuels and energy it takes to keep the world moving forward. Welcome to the final episode of 2022, and what an exciting year it has been for this show. First of all, thank you all so much for listening and supporting Fueling the Future of Transport. I created this show originally in 2016 as another way of telling the evolving story of the fuels and vehicles industries. And because of my amazing network, I've been fortunate to have so many guests covering so many topics, ranging from petroleum to electricity to biofuels and so much more. I love hearing your feedback and suggestions, so please keep them coming. In June of this year, I relaunched my podcast, as you know, adopting a new bi-weekly release cadence, and I started asking guests one important question at the end of every episode. I asked them, what excites you most about this space? And the one thing that excites me most about their answers is the inspiring smile I see on their faces when we're in the interview. It's something that they're just not expecting. I find that every guest has a passion for their craft, for sustainability, for the future, for what they're doing to decarbonize fuels, vehicles, and transport energies. The news on climate can be depressing, and the mountains we have to climb to reach net zero in energy really are daunting. But it's listening to these guests, many of whom are innovators in their respective fields, that makes me so optimistic about the future. It really does. I wanted to take time in this episode to share some of those answers and to leave you with a positive outlook as we turn the page on a new calendar year. But before I dive in, I wanted to tell you what excites me (laughs) most about this space. It's the combination of innovation, really, in all aspects of transport energies and the real breakthroughs that are being achieved in low carbon fuels, electrification, hydrogen and other novel fuels. I've been working in the transport energy space for over 25 years and just 10 years ago, actually really just like five years ago, most of what we are now considering as real solutions today were pipe dreams back then. They were really laboratory R&D projects. So it's exciting to see the progress. Okay, let's dig in. I spoke with a number of policy experts who each made major impacts during their time, either in government or working alongside it. First, let's revisit with Neil Chatterjee. So Neil is former chairman, as you know, of the U.S. Federal Energy Regulatory Commission. Um, I loved Neil's comment that we're going to hear about working together across belief systems and party lines. To me, What's so important about that is that's the truth. It's going to be the only way we get anything lasting done, especially in the U.S. You know, one of the cool things, I was so fortunate to have a front row seat to the energy transition during my time at FERC. And it gave me the ability because of the convening authority at the agency and the ability to bring people together uh, to to meet with some of the smartest, you know, uh, uh, most ambitious, courageous, innovative people out there. And I'm really excited to see the, the, the fundamental transformation that can occur uh, because of innovation, you know, I work in the policy arena. I work in the political arena. You know, as we spoke at the beginning of this podcast, you know, we've struggled to really get energy policy done to achieve carbon reductions and 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 um, and and really, you know, 
transform the regulatory and, and, and landscape, but it hasn't mattered because the market has been working because innovative new technologies have been coming in and uh, we're able to generate and consume electricity in, in cleaner and more efficient ways. And it's super exciting to see that. Um, one of the things that I'm proudest of, or a couple of things that I'm proudest of during my tenure at FERC is we worked really hard uh, on a couple of FERC uh, policies, a couple of FERC orders that removed barriers to entry for new technologies, uh, for energy storage, and for aggregated distributed energy resources. Here, think EVs, think mm. you know, rooftop solar, advanced appliances. And what we did was basically remove some of the barriers that existed within the uh, power markets to enable these resources to be able to be compensated for all of their attributes, for capacity, for energy, for ancillary services. And I'm super excited to see what will emanate from those rulemakings, because I think what it will do is drive greater innovation, will lead us to the breakthrough in long duration storage. Um, and with this aggregated distributed energy rule, like when you think about it, you know, you if you have one electric vehicle, your ability to impact a power market is nil. But if through the power of aggregation, you can harness thousands and thousands and thousands of EVs, suddenly you're competing against the power plant down the street and you're doing it at the point of demand. And what could be really exciting there is not only would this lead to decarbonization in the power sector, but this power sector reform could theoretically enable what we've been talking about, the accelerated deployment of EVs, which could lead to emissions reductions in the auto sector. And to me, that's like super exciting to think about. And, and it's what makes me so eager to be a part of this industry. Um, you know, I think it's an exciting time. You know, the politics of it are, 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 are frustrating to guys like me sometimes. Like I, I personally think that this antiquated notion that if you're for fossil fuels, you're of the political right. And if you're for clean energy, you're of the political left. Uh, is totally outdated. And conservatives and Republicans need to embrace the opportunities in the clean energy transition. And um, when we start to see some of these benefits, job creation, um, lower costs because of greater efficiencies, benefits to consumers, um, you know, it, it, to me, uh, I am very, very optimistic about what our energy future holds and, and really love working in this space. Second, Marco Oge. Marco, so inspiring to me. I've known Marco for over um, 25 years, most of my career. Um, in fact, uh, Marco is the Distinguished Fellow um, at the Climate Works Foundation, among her many other uh, positions right now. And I thought her comments about EPA's authority enshrined within the Inflation Reduction Act was really prescient. And I think that we will see the impacts of just this little change that was mostly overlooked, as she points out, um, by the media. I think we'll really see the impacts of that moving forward um, over the next few years, regardless um, of the um political party that holds uh the administration uh going forward in the upcoming elections. As a former regulator, but but real and environmentalist at heart, that worries uh, about the environment and the planet and public health. Uh, for somebody that um, worked at EPA, and some mornings I would say to myself, "Oh my God, somebody's paying me to do this job." Even after <laughs> a Republican administration, President Bush, um, George W. Bush, you know, which we had difficulties, you know, addressing climate change. I would just. I just felt, felt so 
honor to be able to do that. And, mm-hmm. and I, I strongly believe in public service. Uh, I, I worry about the planet, am I right? I worry, I have a three-year-old and a five-year-old uh, uh, grandchild, grandchildren, and, and, and I'm worrying about them. And I'm worrying about young people in the next generation. People are asking me, where should we live, Margo? Should we leave California and go somewhere else where climate change is not going to impact our young families? So seeing the investments by governments and seeing uh, the investments of the industry, I mean, to me, towards electrification or zero emission technologies uh, excites me. Excites me that there is a hope not to, to reduce completely the impacts of climate change across the planet, but there is a hope that we can minimize uh, the most severe impacts that the planet is already facing from climate change. And transportation is anywhere from 20 to 30 percent of greenhouse gas emissions, the fastest growing uh, yeah. sector when it comes to greenhouse gas. So the opportunity uh, to, to see government and private sector and, and the civil society groups working together to address um, the transportation sector and, and the energy sector as a whole. Gives me hope. Uh, and there are some days that I wake up, I have zero hope, depending what the Supreme Court did <laughs> <laughs> or what I heard, in, you know. But, but these days, uh, I feel much more optimistic. So that's what excites me. And, uh, and, the, and electric cars, let me tell you, for full disclosure, I drive a Tesla. I drove a, a, a Volt, as I told you, I'm driving a mm-hmm. Tesla. This is a fantastic car, high acceleration, you know, I mean, you know, just, you know, drives like better, the torque is better than diesel, and I drove the ITP4, and these are extraordinary cars, so it, when they become more affordable, uh, and, for, and for some, you know, today, the average cost of an electric car is $60,000, but the average cost of uh, of, of an internal combustion engine is close to $50,000, and That's you right. can find Electric cars mm-hmm. at thirty thousand and forty thousand, mm-hmm. so I'm excited for the, you know to see more people uh, getting the the, uh, the privilege uh, and, and to have the fun driving electric cars. So all that excites me. So today you caught me in a very optimistic. <laughs> <laughs> the third person that really really impacted me and continues to impact me is my friend and colleague, John Eichberger, who's executive director of the Fuels Institute. He's so sharp and he's so clear on the issues and he's one of the smartest people I know on transport energy, despite our clearly diverging tastes in music (laughs) as our interview together shows. I think, you know, we've changed from affordable fuel that type of stuff to how do we reduce carbon? Um, and I tell everybody, I don't care if you think climate change is real or not. It doesn't matter. The path is we're going to reduce carbon. There's too many pressures to say we can, we can avoid that. What I find most exciting is there's so much opportunity to be innovative and really push the envelope into new technologies and new strategies and really find new solutions. But at the same time, that's my biggest concern. It seems that the politicians are driving the agenda in one direction and it's leaving all these opportunities behind. And what I love about what the Fuels Institute does is we provide a venue and a forum to have conversations about these options 
and we don't buy into a any solution. We want to explore all these options. I mean, for example, I'm very, I'm still very interested in e-fuels, which is a mm-hmm. gasoline produced from yeah. electrolysis using renewable energy. Um, my good friends in the national labs say, well, yeah, the final product's great, but it's like only 80, it's 84% inefficient, John. Well, yeah, and it's really expensive. Yeah, I get that. But today, a lot of things have been really expensive in the past. Exactly, exactly. And if you can have a zero carbon liquid fuel that's drop-in ready, should we not want it? Yeah. And should we not invest to figure out how to make it economically viable and scalable? Maybe it's not, maybe it is. Maybe it's only for aviation. Maybe it's only for different applications. But there's so... I. There are a lot of bright people. The panel you mentioned at the mm-hmm. conference, I mean, I sometimes think I know some stuff. Man, I felt like a moron sitting up there with those guys. Those guys <laughs> are brilliant. Um, I don't know how many PhDs are represented up there. I guarantee you I don't have one. So I was very undergunned. Um, <clears throat> but the fact that we have people like that, people like yourself and the people mm-hmm. you work with, pushing them, trying to figure this out is inspiring. Yeah. I want the politicians to see that. I want them to see that you've got some brilliant people trying to find sustainable solutions and sustainable, not environmentally sustainable. That's one part of it, but right. enduring, lasting, things that can take us the next 50 years. They're putting their heart and soul in this, trying to figure this out. Give them an opportunity. Yeah. But they keep closing the doors to innovation. And I think that's the worst thing government can do. And um, so I'm, I'm really excited about all those opportunities. And at the same time, I'm trying to figure out how can I run a truck through these walls, keep getting built up so these smart people can bring us their solutions. Yeah. I'm not going to come up with solutions, but if I can knock down these walls to give them the opportunity to do so, that's what's really exciting to me. And then lastly, Britta Gross who's the Director of Transportation now at the Electric Power Research Institute. I loved her points about the alignment of the market and policy beginning to come together in the last year um, um, or so with the inflation uh, infrastructure legislation, uh, the IIJA, and now the IRA, the Inflation Reduction Act. I loved her positivity, um, and I loved her outlook on um, electrification, on the electrification space. And she should know. Um, She worked at General Motors for many, many years. I mean, she has a background in the car industry and, you know, and she's done so much work in this space. I'm going to say it it really is the alignment. Finally, after, you know, 20 years in this part of the business where there was just, it's just, you know, when the when the federal administration got going, then it was industry was sort of behind. When industry gets going, you know, some of the state regulations are a mishmash. Finally, we're starting to see real alignment because it's for all the win-win-win reasons that we talked about earlier, right? It's mm-hmm. carbon reduction. It's tailgate, uh, tailpipe emissions. It's, it's global competitiveness and the economy and better jobs and better paying jobs here in the United States. And so what excites me is that we have this, we have a white paper exercise right now going on in the utility space because they are also decarbonizing the grid, right? Mm-hmm. We're dialing down and transitioning away from coal because we need to, have to. We're beginning to dial down and look at natural gas is also um, in the long-term, not a good solution. We're increasing the amount of renewables on the grid. And as you work with a clean sheet of paper saying, how do you introduce more wind and solar 
to the and other renewables to the grid. How do you do that? And it's funny how the eyes are looking over at transportation going, they've got a white piece of paper too. They're going all electric. So how do these two energy grid and transportation sectors work together? Clean sheet of paper. Why don't we work together and try to get this right? And so there are a lot of opportunities to get this right. We're talking about the way maybe vehicles work with the grid to charge at times of day that are beneficial to the grid, not during peak hours like hot August afternoon, 4 to 7 p.m., but maybe later at night when the wind is blowing in West Texas and maybe the sun is shining in either Florida or in California. There are some real opportunities to work together. And I think that's the that's the real excitement now is that the forces are finally aligning where we can all be more confident that we all we see the direction. We know where now we have to get the stakes are in the sand for 2030 and 2035. We now just have to do the hard work to get to get to those points. I also talked with people who work deep in the supply side of innovative technology. I was so pleased to talk with Parker Meeks, um, who is now the interim CEO for Hyzon Motors, uh, about uh, hydrogen and what's happening in that space and their innovations in that space. So it's just thrilling to be at the forefront of the clean energy transition, particularly as a person that I grew up in, in, in carbon heavy oil and gas, electric power, chemicals, uh, being born and raised in Houston, Texas. It's an environment that you, you easily start in. And um, this is this is the future, right? Um, Hyzon is uniquely um, situated to help drive a transition from a demand perspective with use case solutions like trucks to start. Um, they can really get, get this thing going and partner with some of the largest companies in the world who thankfully see the same thing. You know, large oil and gas companies, large um, uh, equipment uh, sellers, um, you know, large power companies, all these companies see the transition, want to participate in it, and are open and looking to partner with companies like us to match supply with demand. So it's just really exciting to, to basically help drive the early use cases like trucking, but to also have the opportunity over time to transition the demand for clean fuels uh, into aircraft and into rail, into marine vessels, into power solutions. You know, these are all things that in Hyzon's, you know, five to 10 year roadmap are markets that we look forward to helping to decarbonize and, oh, wow. and, to, and to really um, to get to once the trucking application and use case is, is, is well underway. So I feel really, really, really fortunate and our entire team at Hyzon is really passion led. When you're a company that's building something in this way, you got to be led led by passion. Um, so we're all excited to do, do our part to help move, uh, move fuel and move, move, move uh, mo- mobility forward. I loved talking with Camille Terry, who's the co-founder and CEO of Charger Help, a woman um, who, with her uh, partner, has really built from the ground up this um, this this company, um, starting from nothing and filling in this huge gap of um, repairing uh, charging units. Very. Uh, practical, very down to earth, and she's created a company um, from from nothing and is is growing it. And I have so much respect for that as a business owner myself. Design to me is just really cool, and then also technology, smart devices, and not like replacing people or getting like too like crazy AI, but just like 
really bringing the future forward. You know what I mean? I think that we have a cool opportunity to do that with electric vehicles that we may not have been able to do with gas powered vehicles. Like if you think about like flying cars or autonomous vehicles, like I think we're opening up ourselves to just like new stuff. And like, I think as a millennial, I'm like, yes, <laughs> show me more new things. Um, yeah. And then for the company, you know, what I'm, I'm excited about two things for the company. One is that I truly believe, actually in, De- in Detroit, I'm in Detroit right now. And um, they were, you know, they had an RFP out recently to have an electric uh, highway. So like when a car drives on the highway, oh, yeah. the car is charging, you know, and I was talking to the young ladies because we're looking at um, doing some workforce development. And I was like, the fascinating thing is like, you would need somebody that yes, understands how to like repair that highway, but they will also need to understand software, right? Because there's a huge software component. Yeah. And so when we look at the jobs of the future, we can't have all our software engineers who make six figures go fix highways. So then (laughs) how do you, how do you bridge that gap? How do you find someone that's like totally fine with getting dirty, but also is understanding of like software and how can technology help to bridge that gap? And that's what we're really doing at Charger Help. We're saying like, Hey, we can take field service workers and they can work on smart assets with the help of this platform. And this allows for there to be more people entering into the workspace, you know, faster. Like you're not going to school for three, five years, right? Right. You have right. To have, like good natural skill sets of like showing up on time, being a good employee, but like right. directions, using a phone, you know. And so <laughs> that part's really cool to me. Um so those are yeah, those are the two things that I'm really excited about for Charger Hope is just this opportunity to f- further show that there is space for more people here to add value. Um, and we could do that through technology and we could do it in such a way where it's not in replacing people, but it's enhancing, you know, the, the experience and making folks better at their jobs. And then lastly, Michaela Grubb, um, who is the director for Clean Fuels Technology at Topso. I love her perspectives on the future of, um, of cleaner fuels, of, of, uh, expanding the universe of feedstocks um, out there. Um, there's really no one more or no, no firm that I think is more on the on the cutting edge of um, low carbon, no carbon net negativity in fuels um, than Topso with their whole suite of different types of technologies out there. What excites me is that this actually makes an impact. This is actually doing exactly what Held Topsy wanted us to do. Yeah. That yeah. is improve the lives of others and the society around us. It makes a difference. And it also means that when my kids look at me, when I'm going away on business travel and looking at me and saying, mom, you know that it's not very sustainable to fly. <laughs> I can tell them, well, I'm working on it. I'm working on it and it's getting better. So that actually excites me that I think we will hopefully in a timely manner leave a better future for yeah. our children. This week, my son's class has a, has a theme week about uh, garbage and pollution. So, and he's nine. <laughs> so we're educating these uh, citizens that are actually conscious about waste and and sustainability. So, so that that really excites me, uh, and it also excites me to be part of 
this is a once in a lifetime opportunity. We're experiencing the energy transition. It's not every generation that gets to experience this. And to just be a little, little tiny piece in that puzzle to help it move the right way, that excites me so much. And then I'd like to end with my conversation with Dan Sperling, who, you know, arguably um, is a founding father, um, not only of the low carbon fuel standard in California, um, but of electrification um, and sort of the integration of these three revolutions that he talked about, electrification and sharing and, um, and connectivity. Dan really hit it home with his culmination, um, with his take on the culmination of a lifetime of work, which he's going to talk about in this um, snippet. You know, I've been doing this for 40 years, and this is the most exciting time in that whole period. You know, I tell my grad students, they're so fortunate they're coming into it just at the right time because, I mean, one there's a recognition that change is needed. You know, the car centric, you know, model model that we've developed. I talked about the marginalization of people, environmental justice, social justice, people, you know, starting to appreciate how important that is to deal with it. And then, you know, the big kahuna climate. Mm-hmm. And then you have on top of that, you have all of this innovation and new technology coming along. You know, that's the three revolutions. That's what motivated me to write that book. Mm-hmm. And, and so this is the time. This is it. And and now, you know, for me personally, I'm having more impact uh, than I ever did. Mm-hmm. You know, just because, you know, my first 20 years, no one really even cared about what I was doing. Working with <laughs> fuels, and, you know, um, you were talking about your former boss, Fred mm-hmm. Potter. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we were kind of whistling in the wilderness for those years, many, That's many right. years. He was a big proponent of cleaner, cleaner fuels, um, yeah. as, as was I. I think he'd be stunned at what was what's happening now. Yeah. And, and now it's so this is the time um, I have. There's a guy that works with me. He's 91 years old. He's worked on electric vehicles and batteries his whole life. He says the same thing. Oh, he my says, gosh. This is. This is the best time ever. He says, I can't retire. <laughs> He's still writing papers, <laughs> mentoring students. This is it right now. Turning towards 2023, I have several exciting guests lined up and I look forward to sharing each of their enlightening answers to this burning question. Uh, listeners, I leave you with homework of thinking about what excites you most about this space. And let's not stop there. I invite you to share that with me. Feel free to email me at Tammy at transportenergystrategies.com with either your written inspiration or better yet, record a voice memo and send me the audio file. And maybe you'll hear yourself on an upcoming episode. That'd be so much fun. I'd love to do that. Thank you so much for listening to Fueling the Future of Transport. And if you haven't already, tell your friends and colleagues about the show and please rate it in your podcast app. That helps others discover it. You've been listening to Fueling the Future of Transport. This show is hosted and edited by Tammy Klein, produced by Carolyn Schneer and engineered by Alexander Nikolic. To hear more great episodes of this show, learn more and sign up for a free biweekly newsletter, visit transportenergystrategies.com.